Welcome to this episode of the Keeping It Local podcast brought to you by Pile Style Events. I'm Dennis Junk. With me as always is the woman herself, Alicia Pyle. Hi there. And today we're interviewing Caleb Young. Caleb is the associate conductor for the Fort Wayne Philharmonic. How are you doing, Caleb? Great. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I'm really excited about this. It's our pleasure, yeah. (laughs) So ever since high school when we did the field trips to the embassy to listen to the symphony orchestra, I just thought it was magic. And so the conductor is the most visible person standing up there in front of everybody waving your arms like you were saying you wave your arms for a living i do yes <laughs> but we don't hear you so could you just for us people who know nothing oh, we about hear music him. <laughs> so that's, that's the joke yeah right? he does he does come out and talk that's true I, ideally you should never hear the conductor i i have to say i i grunt a little too much on the podium and some musicians have complained about that but that's fine i just get into the music i can't help it my job is very hard to explain at times yes i there's a lot of misconceptions attached to your job. It is, yeah. So you're the first person to come out and take applause, or besides the concertmaster, the orchestra tunes, and mm-hmm. Violetta comes out. But you come out, and you bow, and you get all this applause, and then the music happens. You don't make any noise. You wave your arms. It's very Everyone sees the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Thank God I haven't gone bald yet back there. <laughs> it's coming, though, I think. Some nice hats. Right? <laughs> um, and then the music ends, and I turn around and take a bow and walk off stage. It's a very rewarding job, what I do. I, I love conducting and making music, especially here in this town. I mean, Fort Wayne's been a great home for me. It's a very isolated job in a way. Uh, we spend all, a lot of musicians, we spend our time, as you know, by ourselves in the practice room. And uh, But conductors are especially isolated because we learn the music at home, come to the concert hall, we do rehearsals, and I have colleagues in the orchestra, yes, but you know I'm there to kind of run the ship and make sure things happen and keep things organized, and then I go home and... You know, I live by myself. Unfortunately, my girlfriend's not here. It's another story we can get into, the life of long-distance musicians. But yeah, it's a very complex job that I would, wouldn't want to give up. I'm very um, lucky to do this for a living. This is a very hard field to get into, and that's yeah. something we can also talk about. Mm-hmm. How, how the heck do you become a conductor? What are the steps? That's one of my questions. Yeah. yeah. Somebody gave me the box six-part chorales because uh-huh. I, I, in high school I wanted to be a conductor and I was playing piano concertos and in youth orchestra and uh, Brad Thatchuk gave me the six-part chorales for anyone <laughs> that has Fort Wayne history and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> never <enough>. mind. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky because then once you start, you have the six-part six-part chorales, but then you get the version <laughs> that have every different clef yeah, on all yeah. the lines, and then you know, oh, then two are transposing. So yeah. there's definitely some. That's what they were. And I was yeah. like, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the conducting field has changed a lot for what people, especially when you get into school and what schools teach and, and what they're looking for in conductors, that's changed a lot. There's this very old school system of, oh, if you want to be an orchestral conductor, you have to be able to play every line in a Bach chorale and sing one line and transpose the other line. That has kind of faded to the past, thank God. And we're focusing on other things that are Equally as difficult, but just different. 50 years ago, they weren't talking about how to conduct a Pops concert in school. But sure. now we have to talk about that. How do you put together something in one rehearsal and deal with a traveling band? And mm-hmm. oh, so there's, there's a lot of yeah. different types of components that go into being a conductor. And I, I get to do it all here in Fort Wayne, which is great. If you're in Fort Wayne, you're going to do a lot of things well. If you're going to make money. That's one thing <laughs> I've understood. You're yes. going to be a professional musician of any kind or involved mm-hmm. with music as a profession. You're, you're going to be good at many things. Totally. and and <laughs> I'm sure you're not exempt from that at all. Well, this job comes with so much podium time, whether you're conducting with Pink Martini or you're conducting Mozart concertos, you're literally going to conduct everything under the sun. And that's what makes this position so special compared to a lot of my colleagues who work. They might conduct one show a month 
and it's the same kind of, oh, it's either a kid show or just a straight up and down classical concert, but I'm doing anything under the sun here. Holiday pops, pops, classical chamber orchestra ballet. I mean, the list sure. kind of goes on and on. So for us complete music ignoramuses, what does the conductor do? We'll, we'll say mm-hmm. this is like an organism. You know, okay. All, you've got all the different parts. What function does the conductor serve? Besides herding cats? <laughs> I was going to uh, say, it's, it's way worse. Think band leader times like 150. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Our biggest responsibility is rehearsing, obviously. Mm-hmm. The concert is the smallest portion of our time spent. We're always rehearsing. I am mostly in charge of concerts that happen on one rehearsal. So, wow. gotta get it right. Yeah. Try. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> exactly. So, I have a plan that I need to execute in two and a half hours. We've done shows as long as 80 minutes in one rehearsal. So, I will literally sit at home in my PJs at the at the keyboard and say, okay, this piece is six minutes, but the orchestra plays it every other year. So I can probably just run it one time, go to the next piece, mm-hmm. say one thing, go to the next piece. Uh, okay, this piece, next piece is 20 minutes. The orchestra has never played it. So I need to dedicate at least 35, 40 minutes to that piece. So I'll literally create... You plan your rehearsal out. I plan it out, yeah. and mm-hmm. I actually have a stopwatch on the podium. Oh, wow. And I, I build in five to ten wow. minutes of... It's no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> five to ten minutes of something going wrong. It's making me sweat just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, someone always asks a question that takes five minutes to explain, which yeah. is fine because they're usually very legitimate questions. So I always have that buffer built in. And knock on wood, I've always made it through a rehearsal when I needed to. And it's mm. with unionized musicians, so yes. they need to leave when rehearsal's over. Yeah, yeah. it's not they'll something get up where you can wa- stay over. Yeah, they'll yeah. get up and walk like out. Yeah, well, the worst thing, maybe yeah. worse than them walking out, is going to overtime. Because overtime... <laughs> very expensive. <laughs> very expensive. Yes. Very expensive. So that's something I'm always battling. It's nice when I have two rehearsals because it takes the pressure off a little bit. Compared to um, Andrew, when he's in town, we do a masterworks that we have four rehearsals for four in a dress or something like that. So a lot of my job is just being extremely efficient. Rehearsing the orchestra, mm-hmm. uh, working with guest artists. For example, we'll have a, a pop show. That rehearsal's at one o'clock. We'll have the guest artist come, say, 12.30, and I'll chat with them. Hey, are we doing these repeats? Uh, is there a cut here, etc.? If we're lucky enough, sometimes they'll travel with their music director, the person who, who did their <laughs> charts. So that's always a nice luxury. Sometimes it's not. I just did a show with the Beach Boys, cool. and they traveled with their... Oh, it was amazing childhood dream yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so explain to them quickly yeah the difference between musical director for a pop artist versus conductor because there's people that don't know that right so if you're there's music... one sitting right here <laughs> yeah, so go. if you're music yeah. director for for a pops group or a rock group or a band a band yeah you're arranging their charts uh you're helping rehearse those charts just kind of get the band through the charts and those people ideally travel with the band and help, in my case, the orchestra conductor work through those charts and correct any problems that happen. And there's been... So it's a big deal if he's working with a music director. Mm-hmm. It's like they're the band parent. Exactly. Yeah. Band mom or whatever. Uh, holds yeah. the hand of the So band. like Derek is yeah. our musical director. Exactly. Derek and I for APQ Harmonic. We would arrange the music okay. and get that prepared. So, so if a band comes in to see Caleb, they could explain the mechanics and the organization of the piece. It's like the liaison really between between the two. And So yeah, you work with that person, then we have a rehearsal at 1 o'clock and show at 7.30. It happens very quickly. There's really no room to mess around. Yeah, I'm getting more and more impressed with all the shows I've seen recently. <laughs> you should be. Well, yeah. I, have, I have good colleagues. 
because I have to say, I, the the film makes my job easy. They're a great orchestra to work with. I mean, and we were pros. we did an episode with Derek Reeves, and he was telling us that one of the biggest misconceptions people have is that you know you show up on Friday and play the music and then go home. It's like, what else do you do? Like, no, this is a full time. <laughs> is this position. what you do for a living? I yeah. think it's what yeah. someone yeah, is this year. And Alicia yeah. talks about that all the time too. They think you show up at a whatever it is, some event, and it's oh, it's, you play for two hours and you make a hundred dollars. That's pretty cool, yeah. you know. And it's like, no, that took a lot more time than that. You saw like. Like just a fraction of what went into it. It's always the iceberg thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So, what what's your own background, and do you play a musical instrument? Do you play all the instruments? <laughs> I was like, curious about that. What your primary that. instrument is? Well, that that's an interesting story about playing all the instru- instruments. It's important for a conductor to know a little bit about everything, every instrument, right? Especially say the strings. The strings mm-hmm. are the heart of the orchestra, so you need to be able to speak that vocabulary. Not necessarily play the violin, but yeah. it's nice to have a working vocabulary vocabulary of the strings and the winds and the brass and the percussion my primary instrument actually is the euphonium oh that's cool so an instrument that's not even in the orchestra for those of you that are not familiar with euphonium it's basically a baby tuba primarily a band instrument Mm -hmm. so in like concert band yeah okay Uh, service band stuff like that Uh, there's a few pieces that have euphonium in them for orchestra uh, you can count them on two hands but i use that instrument i started out on trumpet and then trombone and then finally euphonium in my undergrad and got a degree in euphonium which is shocking euphonium performance yeah oh that's cool so i have the two most we're nerding out right here aren't we i I know i have the two most (laughs) niche degrees you could ever have a bm in euphonium performance and a master's in orchestral conducting i did not want to get a job i don't think and this is from indiana university yeah i went to iu for conducting and then uh university of alabama for undergrad and you're from Asheville, Asheville, north North carolina Carolina. so I, i grew up in a very musical family my parents both play instruments they're not professionals but they're very musical and so i started playing piano very young and continue that that's what i play primarily now yeah, as a conductor, you would, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the fastest way to, to learn a score. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to talk more about that later. That's fun. Totally. Uh, the euphonium collects dust now. I mean, that thing is Aww. in the corner, and I just don't have time to play it, let alone... I probably can't even hold the thing, let alone play it these days. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I applied to one school, and it'd be cool if maybe we could talk about how I got into conducting. If, yeah. Please. Oh, yeah. We could compare, like, your trajectory versus... Is, is yours pretty normal? Definitely not. So you had a... <laughs> What's well, a normal trajectory for a conductor? That's what now I want to say. know that. You know what I mean? I always like to say that a musician should have three qualities, right? You're either talented, hardworking, or lucky. Ideally, you're all three of those what components. About personable, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, some of that's in there no, somewhere, right? Kidding. He it works helps. with a lot what of them. He knows pretty? that's not in there. Hey, in 2018, <laughs> you got to have it all, you know. Um, I'm just teasing you. You know, I was, I decided I want to study music and I thought maybe I wanted to be a band director. I had an amazing band program in middle school and high school. Just the most inspiring people. Very influential in my life. And I was decent at euphonium. And there was this amazing, the Josh Bell of euphonium players, right? This guy's the only really world-class soloist that, especially in North America, maybe he taught at Alabama and we had some mutual my teacher knew him and he's like hey you should go down to Montgomery and play for him so I went down there and that ended up being the only place I applied and they just ended up being cheaper for me to go there than anywhere in state so wow. that's usually how you know I'll, I'll take it sure. so I studied with him and one good friend
friend of mine, my best friend who ended up being his best man at his wedding, was also a phoning player and interested in conducting, and he actually got a music ed degree, but we both started taking conducting lessons from a choral conductor who was very prolific in Europe, conducted the first performance of the Messiah in Ukraine. I mean, this guy was very prolific in choral conducting, also conducted a lot of orchestras, and it just... Just a quick question. Choral conducting means it's vocals? Yeah, yeah. Like choir. 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 Okay. So here I was, euphonium player, taking conducting lessons from a choral conductor to be an orchestral conductor. So it's this whole very twisted situation, and I just got the bug, and I couldn't get rid of it. So I started putting together my own orchestras at Alabama and just did ad hoc performances and oh, wow. said, well, maybe I can do this in grad school. So the way it works is that you send video to the grad school if you're conducting and, and then you can get an audition. And everybody that I had talked to said apply to as many schools as possible because it's a crapshoot. These schools are getting 100, 200 applications. And they take, what, like 10 mm-hmm. per year? 15. Sometimes less. I mean, yeah. A studio doesn't have, is it like a piano studio where they only take a certain amount? Mm-hmm. At, so at IU, we had 10. Yeah. And the year I got in, they took two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And wow. then uh, way down the road, I ended up applying to uh, an artist diploma at a school that only took one for wow. a studio of three. So, so anyway. A teacher only wants a certain amount of pupils per semester. Sure. Mm-hmm. So well, it's like freshman, creative sophomore, writing, junior, senior. Master yeah. of Fine Arts. It's like yeah. we, this, our program has six people in it and we get 300 applications. <laughs> yeah, it's for, like good luck. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, because you know, there's an orchestra and there's only so much time you can give yeah. each student, right? Yeah. So I applied to 14 schools. And this is a little bit of a tragic story, but I love telling it because I, I, I think it's important important to tell for anyone that's wanting to try to cross these bridges applied to all these schools ended up getting two or three auditions and then didn't get into any schools for grad school so i said holy hell what's next right so i was living in tuscaloosa just graduated with a bm in euphonium thinking i was trying to be an orchestral conductor my parents were living in north carolina in Asheville. a beautiful halfway spot between those two between that eight hour drive was atlanta exactly halfway in between and i had some friends that lived in atlanta and I kind of knew the music director there, Robert Spano. We had some mutual friends that sent an email, that sent an email, that sent another email. He's the music director of where? Atlanta Symphony. Okay. Major, major U.S. orchestra. And somehow he agreed to let me come and sit in on the rehearsals, which this doesn't happen in professional orchestra, especially at that level. Mm -hmm. So I picked up and moved to Atlanta and decided I'm going to take a year off, put everything I have into becoming a conductor. So during the day, I would go to ASO rehearsals. Rehearsals. Their double. I would go to the morning rehearsal, afternoon rehearsal. ASO could you? Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Okay. And then after that, I was a valet. I would park cars at, we'll say, clubs uh, <laughs> for <laughs> our PG listeners. And I literally parked cars from 6 p.m. until midnight, one, two in the morning. Get up, do it all over. So that was my life for a year. And saved up enough money to put an orchestra together in Atlanta and do that whole process again. Make a video, send it to grad schools. I only applied to six or seven that year. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I had the pick of the litter. I got into multiple schools multiple offers and I decided I want, wanted to go to IU because in order to and this is this is another thing we could talk about in order to be kind of looked at seriously unfortunately you have to go to X, Y, and Z places right? Yeah. And, IU or Juilliard right yeah. these resumes go in this pile these resumes go in under the other pile so I made a decision to go to IU because they had a very good track record of graduates getting degrees mm-hmm. that's all I'm focused on I had great teachers so I moved from Atlanta to Bloomington and had three awesome years 
engineers there, amazing teachers. And it's all about hands-on experience there. We have literally our own orchestra three days a week for the conducting students. Oh, wow. So, And that's what it's about. That's the only way you can get better. You can't go into a practice room and conduct in front of a mirror and get better. You have to have the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So that was an awesome three years that I just had an opportunity to spread my wings and, and become better. But then you crossed another bridge. Okay, how do I go from graduate school to becoming a professional now? How do I get my first job? And this is the bridge that's maybe the hardest to, to cross for people. And it was Which just, can be for many musicians. Too. Right, yeah, for not any just musicians, conductor. Right. It's now how does this practically, you know, pay my bills now? And exactly. Do I feel appreciated and <laughs> do I, you know. Yeah, how do I somehow give back to yeah. mm-hmm. the world of art and my community? And so it was the same kind of thing. I mean, I, I had some professional work while I was in school. I was uh, serving as a cover conductor so that I would go to different orchestras. And if the person conducting the concert fell down the stairs and broke their arm, heaven forbid, the cover conductor would take over. Mm-hmm. That's part of my role here in Fort Wayne. But I would go and do that with other orchestras and just knew the right people. It's all about connections. And they would say, hey, I know this young conductor. Can you give him a chance? And got some stuff on my resume. And funny story that we should tell about Fort Wayne. So this job came open my second to last Second to last year at IU. What this year would that have been? I was, I was curious how long you've been here. That was, this is my, th- coming up on my third season. Okay. So that, that was 2013, I believe. That's okay. when Joshwin won the job. That was that year, that audition. And so I applied and I was a little bit cocky back then. Uh, <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, I'll get an audition. I'll go to this great school. They're just, they're this, those orchestras just down the road and didn't get an audition. Okay. And I actually had the gumption to send Andrew Constantine an email, the music director. Basically, I said like, hey, what's the deal? This is so weird because I now work for him. And he was so nice. And again, this is something that doesn't happen in my field. He actually said, hey, here's my phone number. Give me a call and we can talk about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked on the phone for a good 30, 45 minutes about what he saw in my conducting, what I needed to work on. And again, so this is me working towards that next step. And knowing how much of an ass I was kind of to him and realizing that a year later that job would come open again and I applied again got an audition and actually won the job it's bizarre that he would even ever consider me but that's just how well, weird he, he took the time to give you feedback you must have saw some yeah, potential yeah. so I'm forever in his debt for kind of sometimes when somebody really really wants something though and they have that extra you know enthusiasm about mm-hmm. inquiring as to why it isn't always a negative thing I think for employers too yeah. You know, maybe maybe in the arts, pe- people might think you're egotistical, but like an outside of the arts, when you really show that you want something and you show up for it again, mm-hmm. or you ask why, you know, or what can I do better? That's usually seen as a super positive in the business world because that means you really wanted it and you care. Mm-hmm. But in the arts, usually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get you. Like, who is this kid? He has yeah. no business. Anyway, my mom always told me that that squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. Right? And I I live and die by that motto. I applied to all these jobs and graduated, had another degree hanging on the wall now I'm now a conductor yeah but I'm not employed how do I do this so I took another year off and my girlfriend was living with me in Bloomington she's a violinist and thank god a brilliant violinist I mean just stellar and so she won a job in Dallas and so I moved to Dallas with her and had a plan just to try to string together some work and take auditions and make it happen and I, I had a few very important opportunities that I capitalized on and again had a situation where I was saying no to things which in this business is a rare luxury right Mm -hmm. and 
had an opportunity to either go to a couple different places and, and Fort Wayne just really spoke to me and here I am two years later. It's been, well, we're, we're happy to have, have you. Have you. <laughs> it's been a hell of a journey, but uh, you know, before we ever met you, I it just, you're, you're really approachable the way you conduct the orchestra and the way you speak to the audience, you know, the, the members and it's just fun. And I knew we'd like you before we met you and we loved watching <laughs> your concerts. So yeah, I have to say, I think the first time I was introduced to you was at Bach in the Barn. Oh, yeah. The barn, yeah. And you Those came out cool. and, you were basically debriefing us about how good the show was and what we, what we thought of it. And I thought, I was like, wow, he's really interested in making this as good as it can be. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of impressive. Well, there's always that, and and I know you, you've experienced this, there's this wall that we build up between the performer and the audience. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that wall has become denser and denser and denser. And my main goal in conducting is to help break that wall down and bring people closer to... I think it's larger in classical music. It is, yeah, And definitely. so when you're in the classical setting or art music setting, you, you know, you don't want to ever feel the need to explain things, you know, yeah. and explain yourself. But I think maybe it's a sign of the times. It is difficult to reach out and connect a little bit more difficult now with classical music than mm-hmm. it was at another time. But it's so worth doing. So it if is. you're good at that, you're a valuable <laughs> asset to the classical <laughs> music community. I'm just so passionate about it. And I want to share that passion and why I love music and why I believe you should should love music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is why you should love music. Uh, there's just so much to offer from our art for making music and it's just such a, a way to unify people and, and declutter our lives that I, I'm very fortunate to, to do what I do. But yeah, I that is my main mission is to bring wrap more people into our, our blanket of, of music making. So toward that end, you're doing some projects working with young people. Could you tell us this Aside from all the rehearsals and the performances, uh, you've got music and mixology. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So music and mixology, I have to give credit where credit's due. That friend I was talking about in undergrad, who were lifelong friends, he is uh, associate conductor at uh, Oregon Symphony. He was formerly in the other Portland in Maine, and he started a program called Symphony and Spirits, uh, which is... Brilliant Very name. I, love, I wish we could have stole the name. <laughs> yeah. um, and basically the premise of this idea is to try to bring in a demographic that would not normally come to the embassy theater to hear classical music. We'll say maybe the millennial. We target the 21 to 39 age, uh, which, you know, depending on the city, I've been in a lot of different orchestra halls where... I was just in Louisville to see the the Louisville Orchestra, and they have so many young people in the hall. So it's not a problem that every orchestra is experienced, but mm-hmm. a lot of orchestras are experiencing. And so the whole idea of music mixology is to help bring those folks in the hall via booze, which is <laughs> a great... It's always a good incentive. Yes, it is. And we're so lucky to have it at Wind Down. Gary is such a yeah. great guy to have us. and I He love... is fantastic. He's so nice. It's such a sexy space to go and after concerts. The way it works is that you buy a ticket and you come to the concert and you all sit together in a block seating and meet each other and network and talk at intermission. And then afterwards, we all go to wind down and your ticket price includes a drink voucher. So everybody gets to have a glass of wine or a cocktail and 
just talk and meet each other so we're bringing people into the concert hall that normally wouldn't probably come mm-hmm. watch so, you'll have like marriage proposals soon and like <laughs> i hope so <laughs> all united over music <laughs> yeah I've that's always a neat series to, yeah it's, it's it's cool we do three a year uh, hopefully we can expand it we saw some really nice growth last last year so this year is looking up and up i'm looking to involve some social media influencers i'm having some lunch with a fort wayne vlogger tomorrow to try to get him to come and vlog about it and put it on youtube mm-hmm. so i'm always looking for ways to to branch out right and music and mixology yeah. is a great way to do that and what are some of the other projects you're working on I'm, i've got uh Comer mailer yeah so that was a pet project of mine at iu okay so, so this is in the past it's still ongoing we've we've made a, a couple recordings which was a, a fun project at IU with Conrad Strauss. We're sitting in this amazing sound booth right here. So yeah, I was going to point that out and say you've actually been in recording studios. Yeah. Before. We're at Purdue Fort Wayne on the, the Sweetwater campus. So we Sweetwater, were sitting. Sweetwater Music Center. So yeah. There's a lot of like high tech equipment here we're trying not to touch too much. Yes. We're very <laughs> we're tempted not touching by it. At all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Kamal Mahler basically is a chamber orchestra at heart. And the repertoire that we focus on is usually rep that's not played by a chamber orchestra. So for example, we recorded the premiere recording, uh, the world premiere recording of an arrangement of Mahler's Nice Symphony. Wow, with a chamber? Yeah, with a chamber orchestra, which is strange to think about, but it works because we have, it's anywhere from 14 to 18 players, depending on the piece that we're doing. Single string, so one, two violins, first and second violin, viola, cello, bass. That's no pressure. it, right? Yeah. So they got to be soloists. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely virtuosos at their instruments because there's no hiding, right? No pressure. Uh, <laughs> and single winds, so like one oboe, one flute, etc. Percussion and a keyboard, which fills in a lot of the, the stuff that you would miss with the other players. Who arranges it? So there's an arranger in Germany, Klaus. Simon is his name. He's a big deal. He's published by um, Universal Edition in Germany. He's a big deal. These recordings, these arrangements have really caught on, I want to say by Kalmar Mahler, because we've made a lot of the first recordings and videos of these arrangements. And I've had a lot of people send me emails saying, hey, where do you get these parts? I've never seen this before. That was an excuse for me to A, get more experience conducting Mm -hmm. and B, conduct pieces that I probably won't conduct until I'm 60, right? (laughs) Because there's this hierarchy of pieces that you you don't touch until you're, you know, an old man and have all this experience or an old, an old woman. So I did some pieces that I probably shouldn't have done (laughs) being 21 or something Uh like that, but it's been a great experience for myself and my colleagues because it's been a great challenge yeah yeah i mean they all were playing these pieces for the first time and now they're man this orchestra i'm really proud of it because i mean we have folks that shamelessly enough my girlfriend was the concert master right and she's gone Mm -hmm. off to do great things she plays with some of the best orchestras in the world and our principal violist is playing the israeli philharmonic now Wow. our cellist is the associate conductor of the baltimore symphony so it was like this nucleus of just badasses Mm. that that's so cool (laughs) could literally play anything on their instruments yeah, so that, that's been a fun project. And we're always looking for things to do in the future. And it's funny you bring that up because I'm, I'm starting to brainstorm things. And seeing like this studio behind me really inspires me to maybe make some projects happen here in Fort Wayne. Good deal. It seems like it'd be really cool, just to end note on that, to, to hear those pieces in mm-hmm. that context because it would be so different. It is. You could so actually sure, hear like, this... aficionados to be like, wow, what is this? Yeah. Even though I know this. I've got I, I want to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a lot of comments like yeah. that because usually it's such a wash of sound sure. that 
that say you can't hear the second violins hardly at all. Yeah. Right. But if it's just one on a part, you can hear each line so distinctly. It's very interesting. So to get to your style personally, like who would you say some of your biggest influences are oh, as man. composers, art, like musicians? That would be hard to ask a conductor. That's why That's I, 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 I really want him to, to ask you this question. <laughs> Are you well, influenced by conductors or musicians? Both. Composers. Um, <laughs> so conductors, you know, they, they say you should never meet your heroes, right? <laughs> um, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of my heroes. One in particular is this British conductor, Sir Simon Rattle. Uh, he's music director of, well, he just recently left. He was the music director of the Berlin Philharmonic. He started very young. He was music director of the City of Birmingham Symphony in England. Just someone who can conduct everything from Bach to Stockhausen to Mahler. I mean, literally conduct anything under the sun. And I watched his conducting in a very important part of my process becoming a conductor. I remember we had this recital hall at, at Alabama that had this ginormous screen that would come down and amazing sound system and we would sneak into the building, maybe break into the building, I don't want to say that, but <laughs> we would go into the building at night after classes were done, 11, 12, 1 a.m. and Berlin Phil has this thing they're calling the digital concert hall, which they were this really the first orchestra to stream concerts online and it's become this amazing archive archive of literally any piece you could ever want to watch and we would sit there and watch rattle conduct these concerts every night we'd go and just oh man let's go watch rattle conduct beethoven seven all my conducting buddies and so he's had a big impact on my my career I and mean, the first time i met him was in berlin i was so nervous i snuck into a, an opera rehearsal he was conducting and was sitting in the balcony and and the rehearsal was over it was a big wagner opera and you know my german's okay and i was just trying to stay out of the way and, and hide in the corner of the balcony and the rehearsal was done and it was meant to happen then. I swear that this was a divine intervention that happened because for some reason he decided to just stick around. The whole orchestra left the pit. The hall was literally empty besides the two of us, okay? And he was just thumbing through his scores and I was tr literally trembling. I was probably <laughs> 19 or something like that. That was vibrato. Yeah, I'm a natural <laughs> hey, <good> vibrato. <laughs> So I came up, I was so bold, but I just said, I can't miss out on this opportunity, right? And so I just came up to him and said, could barely put a sentence together. I said, Maestro, I just want to let you know you're a huge inspiration to me. And we just started chatting and I said, you make this stuff look so easy. And he said, oh, I'm glad I fooled you. He was just <laughs> such a down to earth. He should not have been that nice to me. And we've met a couple other times in That's other really places cool. in Europe. But yeah, so he's been a big influence on me. Um, I'm very inspired by... Again, my, my partner in life, my girlfriend, she's a brilliant musician, and I love bouncing ideas off of her, and uh, she's v very honest with me, which is good. You know, she hears me studying all the time. She's usually good. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good ears and very natural musician, and you know, I'll be studying something, and she'll come in the room. She's like, Caleb, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want the phrase to go that way? Or why are you sick taking so much time here? Or if you don't play that F sharp one more time, she always <laughs> could missing that F sharp. Anyway, she, she, she keeps me very honest and, and I need that in my life because as the longer you conduct, it feels like the more isolated you can become. Sure. It's kind of a sobering, depressing thing. It's to similar think to about. being a pianist because it's not, not always very collaborative. Exactly. Yeah. And, and people are less likely to give you feedback 
I mean, I haven't had a lesson since my last year in grad school. And Andrew and I talk through things. You know, hey, Andrew, I'm doing this piece for the first time. What should I look out for? Andrew Constantine. Yeah. And he's he's a very good sounding board for that. But the musicians, they, they have an idea of how the music should go, right, in the field. But they're not conductors, so they can't really... It's not that I can't rely on their input, but you have to realize it's coming from a very different side of the things. The other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very inspired by another conductor, Nicholas Honnenkort, which is uh, an Austrian conductor who just passed away. And I'm very influenced by how should how should I say this? I love Haydn, I love Mozart, I love Beethoven. I'm I'm very influenced by what we call the first Viennese school. Yeah. And this was a conductor, Honnenkort, who was very unapologetic with his recordings. Right? He went for a very unique sound, a very intense sound at ways, and that is something that seeped into my pores the way that music sounds under his interpretation and so i brought a little bit of that to the philharmonic and it's been fun to, to kind of go for a unique sound and so yeah i'm very influenced by a lot of different things uh, I, I like jazz i listen to jazz when i'm wanting to decompress and i that's something i wish i could get more into it's a totally different language man from it's just a different dialect it is it is i, I, I promise wanted... you it's the same language you, you need to give me some lessons or something because it's just something I... no it'll ruin things for you i'm not gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm the more a big... jazz I played, the more I got away from classical. So <laughs> I can't do it. Sorry. No, I I, I love blues too. <laughs> blues is fun. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to see BB three oh, or wow. four times. Uh, Hal and Wolf. I mean, those kind of guys. The, I, I a big Aretha fan. I mean, I was very very taken back by her by her death recently, and just music that speaks to your soul in a different way, mm-hmm. right? So I try to be as well-rounded as, as I can be with my influences and what I listen to and my diet of musical intake in a way. But I can't ever – everyone always says to me, oh, what's your favorite composer or what's your favorite piece, right? That's a question I try not to answer right now because as a young conductor, my favorite piece has to be whatever I'm conducting that day. Sure. I don't have the luxury to say, oh, I don't like that piece. I don't want to conduct that piece this year. Maybe in 40 years I can do that when – I have a little more. So it's like if you can't conduct the one you want, you you love the one you're conducting. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh. I like that. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> no, I just, I just don't have that luxury now. And, and I want to love it. All, all types of music. I want to try to expose myself to everything I can. And then maybe once I've conducted a lot of music, which will take me a long time, by the way, there's a lot of music out there. Then I can start to it's pick It's a lifetime choose. project. It's a lifetime How project. How does that affect you when you think about, I know when I was fully submersed in classical music, just the, the fact that you barely scratched the surface by the time you're 30 or I, 25. Oh, man, I... Like, does that ever bother you? It does a little bit because... <laughs> does that ever make you feel really bad? I'm just kidding. I was thinking about this the other day. There's pieces, you know, I have musicians, their biggest investment is usually their instrument. Sure. Right. They'll go spend six figures on a violin or, or a piano or et cetera. My biggest investment is in scores. Your library. My library, yeah. which is growing. That's always the biggest thing for me to move. I was going to say, I've been moving for you. Oh, <laughs> my God. I leave all the furniture. I just to take all my scores. You have a literary person here as well. Yeah. So yeah. I, was, I was just thinking, like, I remember year. moving. And was, yeah. I had a lot of books. <laughs> well, they weren't scores. <laughs> they, they lived in a dry climate-controlled unit for a year when I lived in Dallas, and it was the most stressful. I always had to come, hey, how are my scores doing? What's the temperature? What's the humidity in there? But I was looking at my library the other day and I just, it was a very sobering thing because there was a very large opera that I saw. It was a, a score to a Wagner opera. And I said to myself, you know, I may never conduct that piece as long as I live, just because there's that much music out there that I just may not ever get around to it, right? The more I study music, the more I realize how much is out there. It's insane. It's insane. 
insane. I'm doing a Haydn symphony this year, Haydn 101. Haydn wrote 104 symphonies. <laughs> so if you, you know, you did two you a year. Some, like benchmark yeah. goals for your bucket list. Like, yeah. Gotta get through 50 by the time I die. Or Seriously. Yeah. Or at least, you know, maybe the last 50. Sure. There's just such a massive amount of rep out there that it's it's really a, a big pill to swallow. That's why, again, it's just a blessing to conduct anything. It's neat, sense. though. It's cause... also kind of job security, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's always going to be yeah. music to conduct. It's not all great music. I will say that yeah. <laughs> not all music maybe needs to be performed. Yeah. Um, well, the sad thing is, is you don't know until, until you, you sample do it. it yourself. So it's like, you know, for me, it's this is the greatest book ever. And you're going to read that one. It won some like prestigious award. I'm going to read that one. But then there's a bunch of them that I read and just never heard of. And but it's it will just really change, great. though too as True. you get older as yeah. a musician i don't know how that is in a literary sense but as a musician you like i, I hated french music in high school i was like please you know dear god don't give me another ravel piece you Do know you and, still hate it I'm no hungry. yeah that's what i'm saying like yeah. you get eight nine years older or yeah. through your education you're like why did i not like this piece my poor professor at ipfw poor tess carollo because i remember giving pieces back being like i can't live with this for a year yeah. you know i mean it's just i can't do it and it's amazing how your palette I, changes right i'll give it to a student now you know to get ready for college and sorry tuscarola <laughs> So if you're listening a little overtime here so yeah. i'm gonna kind of rapid fire these but yeah. uh there is an important one you have to ask him there's a few important ones sure. yeah, so, uh, let's talk about fort wayne yeah so you've been all over mm-hmm. so how is fort wayne different from other music scenes well i'll talk about the philharmonic especially okay. because i work with a lot of different orchestras around the country and the world we're extremely blessed to have this group here in Fort Wayne. Not only do they play at an extremely high level, they're just great people. The great people to go in, call colleagues, and just go into work and work with them every day. They're they're very. I was just telling someone the other day. I can ask the Philharmonic pretty much to do anything, even if it's the craziest of ideas, and they'll at least try it once. Most orchestras are not like that. You get a lot of pushback, especially as a young conductor. Oh, who who is this kid telling mm-hmm. me to? or asking me to do this X, Y, and Z. I'll do a lot of concerts with other orchestras on one rehearsal in other cities that nearly aren't maybe as successful as the they happen here in Fort Wayne. So we're blessed to have this orchestra in this community. And just the music scene here in general is just up. We have a living legend sitting right across from me right here. So, oh, please. Uh, and it's have, true. I, have to, I live with her and go out with her. <laughs> you know, I picked her to the choir. Yeah. I feel blessed to be a part of this city, and it's very encouraging to see where it's headed. Uh, I was just downtown the other day and saw some new, the landing, and just to see the development and Sweetwater and this building we're sitting in. This city is posed for greatness. And I think the Philharmonic is going to be a big part of that and is a big part of that. So, again, I just count my blessings every day to be employed here and so, to be living here. So what besides, you know, getting young people involved and just increasing attendance and everything, what do you have like an artistic vision or anything for the next five years, 10 years for the symphony? What would you like to see? I'm, I'm always interested in us playing different types of concerts to, feature, to reach out to communities that say, I want to do a show in, in the prison. I want to take a chamber orchestra to the prison and do and do a concert. The Johnny Cash. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to reach out to people that we're still kind of missing the mark with. There's still people in this community that maybe don't even know we have a symphony there are a lot there's a of lot people i have students i'll be like have you seen the philharmonic yet no do we have an orchestra yeah the the most in, i tell you that my most rewarding concerts i do all year maybe are outside of fort wayne in a way because we'll do run out concerts in angola and mm-hmm. Huntington, all, yeah, all over the place right and a lot of the times these are the only concerts they hear all year long that's it 
they go to a Holly Pops run out concert, that might be their only concert or Patriotic Pops in at the park. Uh, so I'm always looking for, again, spreading the message. The art's always there. The music is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just about letting people know that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's always this really unique experience. You can always listen to music on your MP3 player, your your CD player, whatever equipment you have, and sit there at home and have even classical music, you know, or whatever it is you listen to. But just going to the theater, the embassy is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. it's just I've seen quite a few shows, especially since I started dating Alicia. <laughs> it's like I, I hadn't been there in a long time. Yeah. But it's, it's just amazing to be there. And like one of the this is the central question I just wanted to ask you when you're standing up there conducting the orchestra what is that like Like, Mm. what's that experience like I know you're probably tuned in trying to hear all the different sections and keep them all there's got to be some timing element going on there but what is it what's it like what's the experience like it's a very interesting question the feeling of I mean that that space for me is that's my cathedral right that's where I go to practice my religion to walk out on that stage to hear the orchestra tune to see the orchestra sit down to see all the lights go down and to walk out onto that stage and take applause and get ready to make music with my colleagues there is I wish everyone could experience that feeling because it's and to put your arms up and to have I don't want to say command but to have the attention of all of those people on stage, it's literally like electricity running through your hands. And it's just a feeling that it's very hard to explain, but it, it's phenomenal. It, and it, I've only ever soloed as an as the soloist of an orchestra, but it's there's nothing like orchestral energy on stage. Yeah. Nothing. It, it's the highest of natural highs you could ever imagine. I mean, it's a shame that we can't charge money for it because that would make a killing. <laughs> uh, it's just incredible. And, and to be in that space and to have it, have the music going and have the room vibrating literally because of these musicians. And the audience plays such a large role into to the, how the concert unfolds. And audiences need to know that. There's a huge difference between playing to a hall that's half full than to a hall that's packed. Mm-hmm. The electricity that that creates is like none other. So yeah, it's, I don't have to do drugs because that's my high. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the title for the podcast. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so what advice do you have for aspiring conductors? Mm. <laughs> aspiring conductors you probably have a lot we could fill a whole episode <laughs> yeah that literally could be a three-part series so i think the biggest advice is to have a conversation with yourself and tell yourself not to do it <laughs> so maybe <laughs> that's the, maybe, maybe the first conversation you have but the, the really serious question is you need to ask yourself do you see yourself doing this and nothing else and if the answer is yes then i would say maybe put the blinders on and be super focused on that goal and again this business is about how long you can beat your head against the wall. Yeah. The people who end up getting the jobs, who get the experience, who win the auditions, those people are willing to beat their bloody head against the wall until the job's done. If you absolutely have to do conducting, it's not that if you can do conducting or you want to do conducting, if you have to be a conductor, I'd say just have the tenacity and work ethic and work your butt off. Really sit in that practice room, study scores, learn on, learn languages, absorb every kind of music that you can from jazz to Schoenberg to Bach. Just you have to do it all. Read, read everything you can. Uh, literature is such a strong component to music. But just work your butt off, really. If you have to do it, you got to put the work in. It's not for quitters. It's not for quitters. Definitely not. And it's not for lazy people. No. <laughs> it's not a summer job that you just ease into. Okay, so did we miss anything? Was there anything? Oh, is there a you project you're working on? Is there anything, anything you want to pitch? I mean, this is our 75th anniversary. Wow. Uh, 
So it's going to be an amazing season. We have Renee Fleming coming. That's right. It's unbelievable. Uh, we have Leslie Odom Jr. coming to make his Fort Wayne debut. I did his show with Toledo Symphony, and he puts on one hell of a show. So come check. That. Again, we're doing anything and everything you could want on Rock stage. Too, I saw. Yeah. It's coming. So Woo. really just come check us out. Support the Philharmonic. Check out Music and Mixology. So fwphil.org. All that information's on our website. Is there a place people can follow you, too? Instagram. Okay. And I think my can handle is Caleb Young Conductor, I think. I think so. Yeah. So we'll try to, I'll find it and we'll just, put some links yeah, on there. Yeah, Google it. I don't know. I think I'm on, on Google, blog. unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. This was a yeah, blast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we know you're busy. No, thank you. If you're listening to this on iTunes, you can go ahead and subscribe. Maybe leave us a review. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher. If you're on the Pile Style website, you can go down on the blog and there's a subscription box there. Just type in your email and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Caleb. That thank was really you. fun. Thank you. Thank you.